please turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 12 is where we are. We've been here now for six weeks, and we're going to finish up Mark chapter 12 today, looking at verses 38 through 44. As we've gone through the end of chapter 11 and through chapter 12, we've seen that Jesus has been in public debate. Now, our public debates today take place on the internet and on media. But back then, without technology, their public debates were public debates. And the, the place for the public debate was the, the open courts of the temple, where many people could gather and listen in. And so Jesus, he deftly handled all of the trip and tricky and trap questions, uh, the trap questions that were tricky, from his opponents, and now no one is daring to ask him any more questions. So he has the floor to himself, and he began last week to use the floor to question the teaching of the scribes on the Messiah. Who is the Messiah? This week, he is going to put the scribes on blast. And he is not kind in his words, or gentle in his words, concerning the religious hypocrites that were respected and admired by the Jewish people. There may be nothing that God hates more than fake religion. He loves sincerity. He loves an unfeigned faith. And sadly, it is too rare a thing in this world to find, but where God does find it, he values it and treasures it, and he hates hypocrisy. Christians for far too long have only been warned about Christian false teachers or religious false teachers. But as we have grown up and lived in an increasingly secular society, I'd like to draw to your attention this morning the way that Jesus' words would apply to the irreligious hypocrites, the atheistic hypocrites, who are in the chief seats of all of the high places in our society. There's nothing that God hates more than hypocrisy. And we are going to put on blast those hypocrites who go on to the public forums, who control the public media, and who control the conversation online, and who virtue signal as if they care, as if they love, as if they are doing the right thing, when everything they do is just the opposite. God hates that kind of religious hypocrisy. And yes, it is a religion. It's just an atheistic, humanistic religion. Well, with that in mind, let's go ahead and take a look at our outline for this morning. Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 44. Our title is Hypocrisy versus Sincerity. And as we look into this, two easy parts of the outline. Hypocrisy in verses 38 through 40 and sincerity in verses 41 through 44. You have a great contrast here between those who were admired and respected, but who were actually hated by God, and those who were despised or looked down on, but who were actually precious in God's sight. Jesus said on another occasion, that which is highly honored among men is despised by God. And the reverse is also true. We'll begin in verses 38 through 40. Go ahead and follow along in your Bible as I read it out loud. In his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes 
who like to walk around in long robes, and like greetings in the marketplaces, and have the best seats in the synagogues, and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. So you see that Mark records for us just a brief account of the blast that Jesus Christ directs against the scribes. For our scripture reading in Mark chapter 23, excuse me, Matthew chapter 23, we got the full account of Jesus' words to the scribes and the Pharisees in their hypocrisy. Here we get a very brief uh, record of that public teaching. Notice what it starts, starts off with there. It says, in his teaching, he said. So he's teaching on many subjects. He's teaching many things, including whose son is the Christ, as we just read last week. But in his teaching, he is careful to give a warning. Here we have a warning from the Good Shepherd. This is an important part of the shepherd's job. A shepherd who is not a watchman, who does not look out for the wolves, who does not look out for the bear, who does not look out for the lion, who is going to destroy the flock, is a worthless shepherd. Every true shepherd who is a follower of Jesus Christ will, in his teaching, warn the flock about religious hypocrites, false teachers. In fact, you may be aware of this, every book of the New Testament contains a strongly worded warning against false teachers, except for one. The one that doesn't have it is a personal letter from Paul to Philemon concerning a runaway slave. Now, of course, that is not fitting for a book like that, but every other book of the 27 books contains this warning. And Jesus is consistently warning about the danger of false teachers. And he's not just talking about false teachers in general. But notice, he is in the temple, and he is teaching, and he says, beware of the scribes. The scribes who have been sitting around and asking him questions. The scribes who are there listening to his teaching to see if they can find the thing to use against him. They're right there in the temple with him. And he says, look out for these guys. These guys are trouble. These guys are hypocrites. These guys are not going to escape the fires of hell. Can you imagine? There's a religious symposium in Lincoln, and I was invited to be on the stage with other religious leaders in the community. And I stand up and I say to people, watch out for these guys on the stage. These guys are going to lead you to hell. These guys are hypocrites. They stand up here in their nice robes, and they look all holy, and they do long prayers, but in their heart, there's all kinds of wickedness. Don't listen to these guys. Well, they're fighting ones. That's why Jesus Christ was arrested. That's why Jesus Christ was crucified. He's not pussyfooting around. In his teaching, he said, beware of these guys. The ones that you look to, the ones who are your leaders, the ones that you stand up and greet when they walk by, these guys are not the guys you should be following. They devour widows' houses, and for a pretense, make long prayers. There are whole books of the New Testament that are written for the sole purpose of warning you about false teachers. The book of Jude, the book of 2 Peter. The theme of the book, the whole purpose of the book, is to warn you about false teachers. 
And yet, you go and talk with some pastors, and they say, well, we like to focus on the positive. You know, we don't like to point out false teachers, that's being negative, and we don't want to attack anybody. Uh, we just want to teach you the truth, and we trust that you'll be able to discern the difference between truth and error if we just focus on teaching the truth. Well, that's not Christ-like. Christ didn't teach that way. People are gullible and naive. And if people are not warned, they will not discern the difference between truth and error. And how many evangelicals are wandering away from the good shepherd of the sheep to follow after religious hypocrites like the scribes and Pharisees because their churches will not warn them. Christ will hold them accountable for that. A few verses here about not being gullible, not being naive, taking the warnings and seeing the danger. Proverbs 22, verse 3. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. If you don't warn people and they suffer, it's on you. Jesus Christ told the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament, when I say there's danger and you don't tell the people and they go forward and they get into the danger, I will require their blood from you. Because you didn't warn them. You're the watchman on the wall. You're the one who's supposed to be seeing when the army is coming to destroy the city. And if you're sleeping, and if you don't sound the alarm, and the people die, it's your fault. Also, Proverbs 22, verse 3. The simple, the ones who are not discerning, the ones who say, well, he presents himself as a loving, kind person who loves God and wants to lead me in the truth, and so I'll follow him. I'll believe him. That's the simple. You will inherit folly. You will get folly from people who have folly and want to give it to you because you don't have discernment to tell the difference between truth and error. And you just trust that people are what they present themselves to be. Don't trust people. We are liars. Don't be simple or you will inherit folly. But the prudent, those who can discern between truth and error, they are the ones who are crowned with knowledge. And knowledge is so valuable. Your life will not succeed without knowledge. Be prudent. Romans 16, 18 is one of those passages in the New Testament where Paul, in a letter that is not about false teachers, but it's a letter that is presenting the positive truth of how justification works and how faith saves us, and then the practical effects of that in our life, he won't close the letter without the warning. I've got to keep warning you. Romans 16, verse 18. He says, look out for these people. The persons who do not serve our Lord Christ, they say they do, but they don't. But instead, they're serving their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Don't be naive. Don't be simple. Be warned. Hear the warning of Jesus. Hear the warning of Paul. Hear the warning of the Holy Spirit speaking to you today to watch out for false teachers. And I'm going to name some names as we go through the course today. Matthew 7.15, Matthew 7.15, Jesus, in another place, is constantly doing this. I just want you to see it, to get this emphasis. Beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. 
but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You've got to be able to see past the appearance and see to the heart as God sees it. Takes discernment. Here's the one about the watchmen. Isaiah chapter 56, verse 10. The elders in the churches, the preachers in the pulpits, his watchmen, the same sad statement is true today. His watchmen are blind. They are all without knowledge. They are all silent dogs. They cannot bark. Dreaming, lying down, and loving to slumber. A dog is supposed to bark when there's danger. When there's a stranger, when there's someone who's coming to your house who shouldn't be there, the dog is supposed to bark. If he doesn't bark, he's worthless. And then, also, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Paul writing again, I am afraid. Paul, you're not supposed to be afraid. Well, I can be afraid of this. I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning... Your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. There's nothing more valuable to God than a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And so, it is worth warning people about those who are seeking to steal you away from that sincere devotion and for you to inherit their folly of hypocrisy. Now, with that in mind, that a good shepherd warns his flock and warns his shepherds to look out for these kinds of hypocrites, let's take a closer look at their hypocrisy in verses 38 and 39. What is wrong with these scribes? Well, Jesus says, they like to walk around in long robes, and they like greetings in the marketplaces, and they like having the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. Augustine had good spiritual insight into many things. And writing on this subject, he said, The love of honor is the deadly bane of true piety. The love of honor is the deadly bane of true piety. What is wrong with the scribes is, is that they love honor. And they're in it for the honor. Maybe they didn't all start off this way. You know, maybe some of them were sincere young men who wanted to teach the Word of God, wanted to know the Word of God, wanted to live the Word of God, but then they get sucked into the system. They're taught by people who have grown to love the honor, and just slowly their heart is conformed at one step at a time. They're walking away from sincere devotion to Christ. And their hearts are led astray. And they end up in a place where they are full of all of the wicked hypocrisy that Jesus is describing in Matthew chapter 23. When your companions and your teachers are wicked hypocrites, you will become a wicked hypocrite. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful what school you go to. Be careful who your professors are. Be careful what books you read. Be careful. You don't know these people. You'll become like your teacher. And so you have to be able to discern the heart of the teacher. Why does he do the things that he does? They like the long robes. They like the greetings in the marketplaces. They like the best seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at the feasts. 
Jesus said the same thing in Luke chapter 11. Let's turn back there. I want to see this in another context. This wasn't the only time Jesus pointed this out about the religious leaders of his time. But in Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 37, you've got Jesus going to dinner with a Pharisee who invited him. Now, any pastor will tell you, if you are invited to dinner by a fellow religious worker, don't do what Jesus does. <laughs> Let's read it. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give alms of those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. Let's continue. Verse 45. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you also, lawyers, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed, so you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary, yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. And he went away from there. The scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Not how to influence people and make friends. These things are important. It's more important than getting along with people. It's more important than being nice. Is this our Lord? Are we trying to be like Him? Do we think like Him? Do we see like Him? Do we feel like Him? Does the religious error that is around us, that is leading people to hell, concern us? Or are we more concerned about being liked by people? The love of honor is the deadly bane of true piety. You have to watch out for it. I have to watch out for it. Why do you act religious? Is it because you want to impress this group of people? Is it because you care about what these people think? Nothing wrong with thinking about what these people think, but if that becomes your motive for reading your Bible, for praying in public, for teaching Bible studies, then you are walking away from a sincere devotion to Jesus Christ. 
and you're contributing to a culture, leading other people to walk away from a sincere devotion to Christ. Your heart, your motives, they matter. And God sees, and God knows. When you talk about the, the long robes and the blackberries, it's actually commanded in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 8, that you shall bind the commandments of God as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. And so the, the Jewish people took this quite literally, and they would write God's word and then bind it around their arms and put God's word into little scriptures that they would wear on their foreheads. This is the phylactery, and uh, these are the bindings on the arms. And then you've got the, the long robes that go along with it. And the practice today still continues on. It's not that different from the practice 2,000 years ago that Jesus is talking about here, that they like to walk around in the long robes. They like to appear holy. And yet, so many people are not what they appear to be. We should be what we appear to be, and we should be holy. But so many just put on a show of virtue and have no genuine virtue in their heart. They harden their hearts over time. Now how is it that Jesus can say, call no man on earth your father? And we have so many Christians around us who call their priest father. And who talk about this religious leader in Rome as the holy father. Are they Christians if they disobey the clear command of Jesus Christ doing exactly the opposite of what he told them to do? Woe to you, religious leaders, who like to appear holy before men, who like to wear the long robes and, and the greetings. No one gets holier clothing and more honorific greetings than the Pope. He is Antichrist. Do not follow him. Do not listen to him. Do not let him influence you. You will become like your leaders. No one has a better seat than the Pope. No one has more honor at feasts than the Pope. And he loves it. Notice what it says in verse 40. They devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Paul wrote about this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, when he said, Among them, these false teachers, woe to them, are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. What books are in our widows' houses? The women who don't have a husband there to be a discerner. What television shows are on from the televangelists? They make millions. They're not on television because nobody's watching. Everybody is watching. Everybody is sending money. These religious hypocrites are devouring widows' houses before us. And who is warning they're dumb dogs that can't bark. Their books are everywhere. Their television shows are everywhere. They fill up stadiums. 
and no one says a word. They steal from the poorest and most vulnerable among God's law. It's a special place in hell for them. What are the best seats today? You know, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were also the lawyers. You know, the lawyers said, when you say these things, you insult us also. And people read Jesus' words and they wonder, well, how were they exactly devouring widows' houses back then? Well, the same way that widows' houses are devoured by lawyers today. Got $30,000 worth of legal fees to pay to my lawyer. I have to take out a second mortgage on the house. They did that then. They do it now. There's a reason why lawyers have a bad reputation. You know, they say, well, Timothy, you're painting with an awfully broad brush here. There's good lawyers out there. Sure. But there's time to paint with a broad brush. If you're always painting with a fine brush, you don't get a lot of painting done. Jesus painted with a broad brush. What about the scribe who had just asked him a good question and who had agreed with him? He's probably still sitting there. That scribe might think, well, Jesus, you're being a little unfair. You're being a, a little, uh, you know, stereotyping. We're not all this way. You will be if you stay with them. That's what Jesus cares about, this young man that had asked him this question. I assume he's young because he's sincere. He cares about him. And he's telling that man, not just his disciples, beware of the religious hypocrites. The scribes were not just the religious authorities. They were also the political ruling class. They were the elites. I like the Catholic Church hierarchy. And where are the best seats today for those who are the political class, the ruling class? They love the best seats at the opera house, the playhouse, the football stadium, the banquets, the award ceremonies that they throw for themselves. They like being ringside and courtside and sitting in the skybox and having everyone look up to them and making them feel like they're, they're above all of the peons. That's who we're talking about. You see, there are religious hypocrites, but there are also irreligious hypocrites. In one sense, everyone is religious. Everyone has a worldview. Everyone has a God that they worship. Everyone has a system of ethics. Everyone has a functional religion, whether they believe that God exists or not. Did you know that in the original Humanist Manifesto, written in the first half of the 20th century, that they referred to secular humanism as a religion? that it was just understood. Secular humanism functions as a religion, even though it doesn't believe in God, it's atheistic. It's a religion because it's a worldview. It teaches people how to think. It teaches people how to live. It is the same thing as a religion. They call themselves a religion in Humanist Manifesto number one. But when Humanist Manifesto number two came along, they stopped calling themselves a religion. Ever wonder why? Secular humanists are hypocrites as well. Socialists are hypocrites as well. You can you know, save all of your invective for the religious hypocrites, and there's plenty of religious hypocrites to put on blast. But let's also put on blast the irreligious hypocrites who are loving the honor that they get 
from virtue signaling in this society. Think about the CEOs who are firing all of their workers right now. In order to enrich themselves and pay off their shareholders, while they employ slave labor in foreign countries. And then their commercials and in their public face, they talk about all the good that they're doing for social justice. They are whitewashed tombs. People walk over them and don't know there's deadness inside. And what about their political cronies? who create the destructive policies that allow these CEOs to enrich themselves and their shareholders, who also campaign on promises of social justice, caring for the poor, when all of their policies do nothing but destroy the poor and enrich their benefactors. The Pharisees and the scribes were good at covering it up. They had the people fooled. Jesus pulled the mask off. The lawyers today have got everybody fooled. Jesus pulls the mask off. Are we willing to speak about the evil in high places and incur their wrath as Jesus was willing to speak about the evil in his culture and to be marked for death? Paul, following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, was willing to fight for the truth and wrote a whole book, the letter to the Galatian churches, to defend the doctrine of salvation by faith alone against those who would corrupt the truth of the gospel. And he said, Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. He knew what it was like to live as a scribe, as a Pharisee, as a lawyer. He'd walk that path. He loved the long robes. He loved the respectful greetings. He liked the chief seats, and he was hoping to, to move up. He was just a young guy when he got saved, and, and he had his eyes on the highest places of honor among the people that he cared about, the Jewish nation. And Christ turned him around and took it all away, so that instead of being honored among his people, he was rejected. He was beaten. They sought to kill him over and over again. And finally, when his race was run, God allowed the enemies of the gospel to chop off Saul of Tarsus's head. Because he followed Christ. Because he was a dog who would bark. And the criminals and the thieves who were devouring the widow's houses would rather shoot the dog then stop stealing. People would say, well, Jesus, aren't you, you know, stereotyping the Pharisees? I was reading a commentator this week, and he said Jesus' words were violent and indiscriminate. Violent, that's interesting. But they were certainly harsh. He said it was an extended diatribe against the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 23. And he questioned how far this constitutes a valid and objective assessment of first century scribes may be debated. And I say to that man, are you a Christian? How dare you speak about our Lord that way? Are you so worried about offending the Jews today that you would betray Jesus Christ and paint him 
as if he was violent and indiscriminate and did not possibly have a valid or objective assessment of first century scribes. This is a commentary that is, you know, evangelical. It's on every pastor's shelf that preaches on the Gospel of Mark. Well, if you're a Christian who thinks that Jesus' words to the scribes and Pharisees is harsh or violent, wait until you see them cast into the fires of hell. For you will. And if you're too loving to speak a word of warning to them and those who follow them, when you're more loving than Jesus, But, in contrast to the empty religion of the rich and powerful, we have an example of the godly sincerity of the poor in verses 41 through 44. Let's look at sincerity. We've looked at hypocrisy, and I think we've said enough. Let's look at sincerity. And he sat down opposite the treasury, and he watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came, and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The point that Jesus is making is that it's not the size of the gift itself, but the gift relative to what the person has. That God doesn't judge our giving to him, whether it's money giving, whether it's talents and abilities that you're giving. He doesn't judge it by how much you give, but how much you give relative to what you have. That's how God looks at it. That's the point that Jesus is making. Some people have questioned whether or not this is actually a good thing, that perhaps she's being taken advantage of and that she shouldn't give all of her money, all that she had to live on, because there's a lot of religious hypocrites and shysters in the world today who are telling widows that to give their last penny to their, their ministry. But I don't think that's what is in Jesus' mind here. Because this emphasis on giving above and beyond your ability, giving all that you have, is one that is commended, not only, I think, by the Lord Jesus Christ here, but also by the Apostle Paul, as he is writing to the Corinthians. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. We let Scripture interpret Scripture, and there are Scriptures that condemn uh, people for taking advantage of widows, and uh, we just read one in context. So I can understand why somebody would think that. But I think if you just read the Jesus words in their natural sense, you get the idea that he is praising this widow for giving voluntarily everything she has to God and trusting him for her next meal. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-5. through 5. He says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy... And their extreme poverty, notice that, 
have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. That's what Jesus Christ has been calling the disciples to. That's what he's been publicly preaching. You have to give everything. You have to give it all. And I'm not talking about putting all of your money into our offering box. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about your life. I'm talking about your heart, your goals, your dreams, your ambitions, your motivations. And God is not something you tack onto your life and say, well, I've got all my dreams and hopes and ambitions, and I want to go to heaven when I die, so let's also get church in there somewhere. No. That's not what it means to be a Christian. That unless you are willing to follow Jesus Christ and leave everything else behind, to give your whole self, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you don't know what it means to be a Christ follower. The woman who gave all that she had to live on. It wasn't the two pennies. It was her heart. It was her desire to give to God. To have the privilege of supporting the temple, which was the dwelling of God on earth. Well, the temple's gone. We'll be hearing about that in the next chapter. But it's been replaced by a better temple. The temple that is all around you. For we are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. And if we give our gifts to God, as it said in the song that we sang earlier, then the church will become the glorious temple of the Holy Spirit that it's supposed to be. Each one giving all that we have to serve and to love one another. Each one being willing to lay down his life, being willing to lay down her life for the good of Christ's church, the dwelling place of God and the Spirit. Examine your heart. What is your idol? What is more important to you than serving the saints? Than being a part of the work of God in the world? I'm not asking you to quit your job. God wants you to work, men, provide for your family. Women, He wants you to raise your children. He wants you to love your husband. You can have all of those things, but they are all subsumed underneath the one great goal of loving God. I provide for my family because it's how I love God. I do my job because it's how I love God. If the love of God is in you, then you will not be a hypocrite. You'll not be loving honor, but instead, you give yourself first to God, and then, as Jesus said, everything else is clean for you. You don't have to be poor. You can have a lot of wealth. But whatever wealth you have, you should be using it in order to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Let's do a little bit of application here at the end. Three points that I want to make as we sum up what we've looked at this morning. Number one, let us be sincere in our virtue. Let us be sincere in our love. Let us be sincere in our religion. 
That is one of the most important things to take away from here as we put on our specs and make the application. There is an example to follow, the, the wholehearted devotion of the Corinthians giving themselves, the wholehearted devotion of the widow giving all that she had to live on. That is a godly sincerity that doesn't hold back, that gives God everything. Whatever you ask, whatever you ask God, I'll do it. You tell me, I'll do it. No matter how much honor I lose, no matter how many enemies I make, no matter how much money it costs me, whatever you ask, I'll do it. We need to be there. Don't say, well, that's too hard. It's not too hard. All you got to do is let go. And you might be surprised at how liberating it is when you let go. Let go of your pride. Let go of your precious treasure, your idol. You'll be free to serve God. 1 Timothy 1.5 The aim of our charge. What is God trying to get us to do? Do we preach Jesus, his words, the words of Jesus' apostles? What is the goal? It's love. Love the issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The feigned love is love that does not come from a pure heart. It comes from an evil conscience, an insincere, a fake faith. And it's all around. It's a rare, precious thing to find a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. But let it be here. Let it be in you. And let it spread to others. Point number two. Beware of false teachers. Right? That's kind of an obvious one. False teachers who call themselves evangelical. God knows the heart, but I would tell you, don't listen to Andy Stanley. Don't listen to Joel Olstein. Don't pay attention to Ed Stetzer or Russell Moore, or Bill Johnson. They're not going in the right direction. On television, definitely don't listen to Benny Hinn. Don't listen to Kenneth Copeland. Don't listen to Creflo Dollar. And don't listen to Joyce Meyer. And there's a hundred more. What about other Christians? Well, we already said it. Don't listen to Pope Francis. Don't listen to Hank Hanegraaff. Number three. Don't take the place of honor. When you come to church, don't look to move up the organization chart. Uh, don't look to have people's respect. Don't do things in order to gain more respect. Write down Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 11. Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 11. A great section of the Lord's teaching on taking the lowest place. We outdo one another in showing honor. I put you at the head of the table. I don't take the spot at the head of the table. Keep those three things in mind, and you will do well based upon what Jesus told us here today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your Son into the world to be a light in a dark place. 
Thank you, Lord God, that he said things that no one else would dare to say. Thank you, Father, that he did not count his life as dear to him, but he only wanted to finish the course, the reason why he was born, to testify to the truth and to give his life as a ransom for many. Thank you, God, for preserving for us his words and bringing them to us today. Thank you for giving us ears to hear and eyes to see. Thank you for being patient with us when we are hypocrites, when we pretend to be better than we are. But Lord God, help us to let it go. Create sincerity, create earnestness, openness, humility, a genuine love for you and a genuine love for others that is not put on. Lord, may the, the people who are here see that and feel it. And may you draw more people to that light. For it is a rare and precious thing. Amen. Amen.